What's up, H12? How you guys doing tonight? It's so good to be with you. Man, I've been so looking forward to this. A couple months ago, Derek asked me, he said, would you speak at H12? And I was like, um, absolutely. Number one, because I've heard about what God's doing among you, and I wanted to come and see it firsthand and get to experience what God's doing here among this gathering. Uh, the second reason is that, uh, that when Derek asked me, Do, would you come speak at H12? Second reason I said yes, absolutely, is because Derek is bigger than me. Derek is yoked. He's like diesel. And so when he said, would you speak? I'm like, absolutely. Anytime, anytime you want me to speak anywhere, can I wash your car, sir? So that I am, uh, but I am excited to be with you. I want to begin with a story. It's one of those stories for me. It's a story that when I heard it, um, it, it, it grabbed my heart in a way where I can't, I can't unknow it. It's one of those stories that I just can't unknow. And it stayed with me. It's a story. It's a Hemingway story. It's a story about a, a Spanish father it took place in Madrid in the mid-1950s, um, and there was a father who had a son, and they had a disagreement. They had an argument, and the son, not much older than you, left the house and ran away to Madrid. And the father was heartbroken. The father was distraught. After a couple months, he realized his son was not coming home. And, and, and his heart was so broken that he tried to figure out, what can I do to get my son back? What can I do to restore the relationship? And so the only thing he could think to do, because he didn't know where his son was, and Madrid is a big city, the father put out an ad in the newspaper, El Liberal, put out an ad in the newspaper that said, Paco. That was his son's name, Paco. He said, all is forgiven. Meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon. Love, Papa. So the day came, and the father was anticipating, would his son be there? Would his son not be there? Nothing prepared him for the moment when he walked around the corner, and he saw that there were 800 men named Paco standing there with a copy of the newspaper looking for their father. Now, I read that story, and it just it, it messed with me. And in that story are the two foundational truths that we're going to look at tonight. In that story are foundational truths that really are they're the most dynamic, the most important relational dynamics in the universe. And we're going to talk about them. I'm digging the series Sola. The word is a Latin word that actually that it means alone. And so when we talk about these five foundational truths, the Bible alone. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, God's glory alone. And for years and years, those have been at the core of our faith, essential foundational truths for our faith. That's, that's what we hold tightly to. Reminds me of when I was in Haiti. Anybody ever been to Haiti? Been on a mission trip down there? Fon Baptiste in the community. You go to Fon Baptiste? So we were in the community there, and we were teaching some pastors. There were about 60 pastors in the room, and it was kind of a Q&A time, and one of the pastors raised his hand and asked a question. He said, does a person need to be baptized to be saved? And at this point, the room, I mean, the rooms, everybody's leaning in. And I say, well, baptism is in obedience to Christ, but it is not required for salvation because it's not by our works that we're saved. And at that point, an MMA match broke out. 
It was like a cage match in the room. I mean, people started, they're speaking French Creole, a language out of, I mean, I have no idea what they're saying. The translator sitting there, he's like, I don't need to translate that. Little. I mean, because they were going back and forth, back and forth. And at this moment, you know, and then he starts talking to me in a language I don't understand really, really loud at my face. And, and I put my hand up. I prayed. I said, God, give me something. Put my hand up and everybody stopped. And I, and I said, I said, in our faith, there are things that we agree upon, things that are essential. Things like the Bible is God's inspired word. Things like it's by grace alone that we're saved. Things like it's through faith that we're saved. Things like it's through Christ that we're saved. Things like it's all for God's glory. And these are the essentials. These are the things that we hold with a tightly clenched fist. But then there are other things that we hold with an open hand like where we worship, like what songs or what kind of music we worship with, like does the worship leader wear skinny jeans or not? Like these are things that we hold with an open hand, but there are things that we hold with a closed fist that we say these are the essentials of our faith, but we have things that we may disagree on. But we've got to look at the things that we hold tight to, and we can come in agreement. Yes, we can disagree on things, but we can come in agreement on these things. And, and, and while I'm not sure that it answered a debate that I found out later had been going on for hundreds of years in this town, what it did accomplish was a sense of unity for that group and the things that they could rally around. And so I want to give you those five things. Everybody hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. Okay, so you got your hand up. And so now I want you to look. Your thumb represents, it's by the Bible alone. Finger represents, it's by grace alone. Next finger represents by faith alone. Next finger represents that it's by Christ alone. And the other finger represents that it's to God's glory alone. Now take your fist and hold that fist and shake that fist. That is, that, <laughs> yeah, come on. That is a picture of the things that you hold tightly to in the faith. And so we're through this series, we're looking at these things, and we're going to talk a little bit about two of these tonight. We're going to talk about two of these foundational truths of grace and of faith. Now, when I, uh, when I left that, that conversation, I thought about grace and faith. And when I look back on that story, the reason I share that story with you is because grace and faith are present in that story. See, grace is Papa saying, all is forgiven. Faith is Paco showing up with the newspaper. Now, you and I, we're all Paco. Is there really a Paco in here? That'd just be really cool if there was a Paco in the room. Is there a Paco? Okay. Hey, how you doing, Paco? Um, there, <laughs> you and I are, are Paco. And we have a father who has said all is forgiven. Grace is the father's heart to forgive. Faith is us showing up and saying, I'm ready. I will receive. I'll receive that forgiveness. Now, we're Paco. We've wandered off. We've messed up. We've gone a long way from home, and we can't earn our way back. We don't deserve the Father's forgiveness, but we're saved, accepted, embraced, brought back into the family, reunited with God, declared to be right with him by grace alone. It's only by grace, and it's this, th this idea of grace that Paul writes a letter to the church. There's kind of a stake in the ground when it comes to grace. I put it in your notes, and it's in your teaching notes. You can look at the very top. 
Read along with me. It says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is, this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's the reason that grace and faith are the two most dynamic and powerful relational dynamics, the most powerful relational dynamics in the universe because it's through grace and faith that your salvation is activated. Those are two necessary components. There's the relational forces that God has, has given us, and it's through that that our salvation is activated. And you got to get this. My goal for tonight is that you would better understand grace and faith because if you don't get grace and faith, you don't get Christianity. Now, you might have a belief system, and you might come every now and then and get goosebumps, and you might, you, might, you might have a religion, and you might have superstition, but you won't have the life that Jesus dreams for you because what Jesus calls to you and what he invites you to is to receive his grace and have faith in your life. So how, how, do, you, how do you do that? How do you experience that? I want to tell another story that illustrates that. Uh, I'd been on staff at the church for about four years, and they told us we were going on a staff retreat. We went to this hotel, this nice you know, hotel down in Atlanta, and the whole group went down there. And we were, we're standing at the line at the, at the lobby, and they say, you know, we're going to give you your, your keys. Well, they had, like, roommates. We have roommates on this, on this trip. It's kind of weird. I mean, I guess it's cool if you're in middle school to do slumber parties. In high school, I guess you sleep over friends sometimes. But, but like, this is like this. we're two grown men, and we're, we're about to share a room. And I don't know who the grown man is, and I'm going to share a room. It's just kind of awkward, just kind of weird. I'm like, I don't know if we're save, saving money as a church. I don't know if this is staff bonding. I don't know what's going on, but it's just a little awkward. Find out who your roommate's going to be. Somebody you don't, and I got a guy that just came on staff, didn't really know him. They give us the room keys, and I just kind of look at him and smile. He smiles at me. I mean, it's just a weird moment that, okay, we're going to share a room. We get on the elevator, and we really haven't had many conversations yet, so now I'm really kind of, you know, asking some questions, kind of background, because you want to know a little bit about the guy that you're about to share a room with. So we get on the elevator. We're kind of talking back and forth, and he's asking some questions. It's just kind of like a first date. It's really weird, okay? And we get up to the floor that we're going to. We get off the elevator. We go to the room, and I look at him like, are you going to put your key in? He's like, puts his key in. We open up the door. Door opens up. We look in the room, and there is a double bed in the room. <laughs> this is staff bonding. I mean, I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, I'm going um, something's wrong. So we walk in the room, and I mean, he, he's looking at the bed. I'm, looking, I'm, I'm sleeping on the floor. I'm like, I'll just sleep on the floor. You can go ahead and have the bed. I'll have the floor right here. So he starts unpacking his stuff on the bed, and I'm just like, this is, like, this is just so Awkward. I mean, not only am I sharing a room with a guy, really, I mean, we just met on the elevator, really, and, but, but he's, got, he's got the bed, and I'm sleeping on the floor next to the bed. At that point, it's knock on the door. And it wasn't like the door we came in. It's another little door, and when I look over, that door opens up. And when that door opens up, there's a guy standing there with a uniform from the hotel. And he says, sir, your other room is ready. And I look in the door, I look in the doorway, and I look in, and there is a king-size bed with, like, just a master suite with, like, a living room area over here, a big screen TV. I mean, in this room, the kitchen area over there. And I look at him, I go, all right, I'm heading over here. So I walk through the room, <laughs> and I sleep, I sleep in that room. Now, here's what I want you to see. Grace is that the door was open. It takes faith to step in into that room. See, Grace is that that room has been purchased for us to stay in, for me to stay in, not for him. He can stay in the double bed, but grace is that the room has been open. It, it takes faith to go in and live in it, to walk in there. Now, here's how this could have worked. That guy could have knocked on the door and said, sir, the other room's ready. I could have looked at him and said, 
look in there. I'm like, man, that's, that's too nice. I, I, don't, I don't deserve that. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to be in that room. I mean, really, if you knew me, if you knew how jacked up I am, if you knew how messed up I am, you'd tell me to sleep on the floor. I don't deserve to be in that room. I, I don't deserve to, to stay there. I mean, that's, that's too nice for me. I really deserve the floor. That guy looked at me like, you're crazy. It's, it's already been purchased. It's already been paid for. Listen, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, a sinless life, died a brutal death on the cross to kick open the door so that you could experience life with God. And the gospel is that Jesus has opened up the door and he has given you life with God that you can't earn, that you can't earn. You don't deserve it. But it's a gift that's been purchased. It's already been purchased for you. He took our crimes upon himself. He has given us his righteousness and we can't earn it. But we've got to step into it by faith. We've got to walk in it by faith. By grace, it's been given. It's a gift of God. I want to share that verse with you again. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. No one can boast about it. No one can brag about it. It's a gift of God. Now, interesting thing about this. Now, I mean, if you're taking notes, you can kind of follow through. It said, grace is God giving us whatever we don't deserve. Faith is receiving the gift with what little belief you have. Grace is God saying, I love you, reaching down. Faith is you saying, I believe you, with you looking up. Let's talk a little more about grace. There was a game that went on a earlier on called Egg Roulette. Where is uh, Chris, Chris? Who was the uh, Christian? There you go. You, um, you, you're the one who, who lost, right? And... Um, now, she won some money. How much did she win? How much did you win? Zero. Zero. Uh, because you lost. You realize, like, you lost to get to her. Like, she won. And, I mean, that, I technically lose. But that, it doesn't make you a loser, man. But you, you, you lost. Um, I've got, Derek's giving me $50 for you. And uh, it's yours. Just like that. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, it's gas money, man. Welcome. Awesome, Christian. Thank Derek. Come on. Give it up for Christian. Now, here's the deal. Christian did not earn that money. Christian lost. He doesn't deserve the money. He had the eggs on the head. But he was given it. Now, it was a gift. Grace is the gift. It takes faith for him to give up because he's looking at me like, man, are you messing with me? Are you really going to give me that money? When I get up there, are you going to pull it away and make me look like a fool? It takes faith to come up, initiate, to step out, to reach out, to take it. That, that's grace and faith interacting. And, and what Paul says is, is look, at, look, at, look at the text. He says, this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's, it's not by works so that no one can boast. See, grace eliminates spiritual swagger. Because when you receive a gift, Christian can't walk around and go, look at the $50 I earned. He can't walk around. He can't walk around with $50 holding it up and saying, I earned the 50. He can't. Because it was a gift to him. He didn't earn it. See, when you realize what God has given you, you can't walk around and go, I got my salvation. Why? 
because it was a gift to you. And so many of us walk around with spiritual swagger because we, we've kind of got a track record of maybe we're doing pretty good. And let me tell you when spiritual swagger shows up, it's how you treat other people. When you look at other people and you say, you know what, I'm glad I'm not like her. Man, I, I've got my stuff so much more together than him. When you only see the best in yourself and you see the worst in other people, that's where spiritual swagger shows up. But you've been saved by grace. You've been, you've been given the gift so that none of us can boast. It's a gift. It's not from yourself. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. But you've got to reach out and grab it. Um, I'm going to share a story, share some other stories. I want to share a story from the scriptures. I want you to look with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 5. You've got a worship center Bible. You can turn there with me. It's a picture that communicates grace and faith. It's a story that I've grown to love recently and something I've been looking at. And then when Derek asked me if I would preach on these two, grace and faith, I thought, man, I can't wait to share this story with you. It's the story of two daughters. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And I want us to look at the text, and we're going to read through the story. And as we read through the story, we'll take some break and we'll give some context for it. Call it the story of the two daughters. Let's pick up in verse 21. And when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. So this guy, Jairus, he's a very important, very influential, very powerful man. He's the ruler of the synagogue. This guy's really well known, and so he makes his way through the crowd. He's one of those people that when he walks through the crowd, the crowd kind of breaks. Jairus is walking through the crowd. He sees Jesus. He comes to Jesus, and he throws himself at his feet because he's a desperate man. Look at why he's desperate. 23. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and, live, and she'll live. And so Jesus went to be, he went with him. And Luke tells us that his daughter is 12 years old. So he has a 12-year-old daughter who's, who's dying. I mean, she's hanging on by a thread. And he comes and he begs Jesus because he knows if he can just get Jesus to his daughter, that Jesus can heal his daughter, that Jesus can make things right, that Jesus can bring her to health. And this text says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So here's the picture. Jesus and Jairus are walking, and there are other people who have needs, other people who want, they just want to be around Jesus. So they're pressing in. It's kind of this, this group, this mob that Jesus is trying to make his way through. Jairus is trying to make their way through. His daughter's barely hanging on. They're trying to make their way through traffic. They're desperate. Jairus is desperate. I was thinking back to a couple months ago, my brother-in-law called me. And Dustin, you were up visiting. And uh, Dustin's over the house. We were talking and get a phone call. It's my brother-in-law, Marty. And he said, uh, he said, man, my dad's in the emergency room and uh, I don't think he's going to make it much longer. And we had had conversation that his dad um, was not a believer. They didn't know where his dad was in faith and never professed his faith. To, and uh, he said, can you come, can you come share with him? And man, I I um, told Dustin, I gotta, gotta go. Jumped in the car and I was driving down to Atlanta and it's down at St. Joe's, down off 285. And I'm just like, man, what am I gonna say? What am I gonna say? What? I called my accountability partner, Ronnie. I call him up and I say, Ronnie, I said, will you pray for me? I'm gonna share the gospel with Mark's dad. And he's got pancreatic cancer. He's not 
I'm not going to live much longer. And Ronnie starts to pray for me. And Ronnie prays it down. He gets done praying. He says, amen. And I, he says, man, people are looking at me funny. I said, why? He said, because I'm on my knees at Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> I had lunch with Ronnie a couple weeks ago, and I brought him a Bass Pro Shop gift certificate. I said, thank you for praying for me. Um, so we get to, uh, I get to, get to 285, and on 285, it's just jammed up traffic. I mean, traffic's not moving at all. They're calling me, and they're texting me, and they're saying, you know, you know how far are you? How far do you got to go? Um, he's not supposed to live much longer. Um, get here fast. And, man, my heart's beating. I'm just like, I, I know I'm supposed to go share the gospel with him. But I, I remember sitting in that traffic, just this feeling of desperation. But I can't imagine. I can't imagine 12-year-old daughter. You know, I have no idea what that's like. And so he's got this 12-year-old daughter, and she's dying, and she doesn't have much longer. And this crowd is keeping Jesus from getting to her. Look at verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Notice how long she's been bleeding. How long? So for as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive, this woman's been subject to bleeding. And what this means, subject to bleeding, she would have had a condition that would have made her unclean under Mosaic law. So she would have been unclean. Anything she touched would have been unclean. She wouldn't be able to cook for her family. She wouldn't be able to be around her family. She wouldn't be able to worship with other people. She was technically unclean according to the law. And so she was, this text tells us, she was emotionally spent, she was physically spent, she was relationally spent, she was financially spent. She's at the end of herself. She's been going through this for 12 years, 12 years of suffering. And, and notice, notice what happens. She was an outcast. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that, what, that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? <laughs> you see the people crowding around against you? His disciples, disciples are like, Jesus, there are people all around you. There are people touching you all over. And, and, and so they're asking questions. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And here's where we have just a little bit of context. When it says that she touched his clothes, it isn't referring to the white nightgown that Jesus wears in the movies or the blue sash that he wore in Vacation Bible School, flannel graph. It, it's referring to a prayer shawl. It's referring to a prayer shawl, which would have been common in that day for a rabbi to wear. And a, a prayer shawl goes back to, let me read the text to you from Numbers, if you're taking notes. It's Numbers 15, 37 through 39. Where the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you were to make tassels, seat, seat. Can you say that with me? Seat, seat. That's just a fun word. On the corners, corners, the way you say that word is kanaf. Can you say kanaf? Kanaf. Hebrew scholars you are. Of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at and you will remember all the commands of the Lord. A prayer shawl is called a talith. And a talith would be, that word means little tent. And so God told them, I want you to sew tassels, seat seat, on the corners, on the kanaf. And this will be a reminder of the commands that I've given to you so that you, you can hold these and remember I've given you my commands. And this will be a way for you to remember that you're not alone. This will be a way for you to remember that I am with you and that I am for you and that I am your God and you are my people. 
And you'll make this little tent, a talith. And the reason they call it a little tent is because they couldn't get the entire nation of Israel under the tent of meeting when they were in the wilderness. And so people would have these tents. And so they would, it's kind of like a hoodie, okay? It was kind of like an ancient hoodie. And they would, they would use this to be their little tent. Remember when Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, don't go out on the street corner and pray out loud. He said, go in your closet and pray where other people can't hear you, between you and God. In the Bible, it says Paul was a tent maker. Maybe he made little tents. It makes sense. And so it would be the custom for a rabbi to wear a prayer shawl. Now, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Now, what's interesting, I'll just say this. Not only is this ancient that many people would wear these in the first century world, but also that um, people still wear these now. Maybe some of you have... uh, friends who practice Judaism, and they've got, uh, they've got seat seat. Um, I was at Quick Trip not too long back, and I saw a guy in Quick Trip, and he had um, seat seat hanging out of his, and I said, I see your seat seat. Um, no, I didn't say that, but that would be really weird if I did. Um, just keep on moving. So back to the Bible, okay? And so in Matthew, in Matthew, it says specifically that she touched the hem of his garment. She touched the corner. She touched the kanaf. Why would she touch the hem, the corner of his garment? Now in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, listen to this verse. It says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise. Now this is a prophecy in the Old Testament. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on the scene. It says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The word there for wings is kanaf. That when the son of righteousness comes, there will be healing in the corners. So here is this woman who knows the prophecy. She knows the word of God. It's been revealed to her. And by faith, what does she do? She she reaches out and she touches the corners of his garment because she knows God's word. She believes that if she touches the corners based on God's word, that he is the son of righteousness. Jesus is the son of righteousness. And if she can just touch the corner of his garment that she'll find her healing. Verse, 20, verse 33. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What does Jesus call her? Daughter. Jairus is desperate for his daughter. What Jesus is showing is, you're my, you're my daughter. You're my daughter too. You're daughter of the king. And he stops to care for her who is unclean. Now, Jesus flips the script. Because under Mosaic law, anybody who came in contact, if she would have touched somebody, they would have been unclean. But Jesus is holy and he is pure. And so when she touches Jesus, she becomes clean. He flips the script, turns it upside down. And she is healed. She's healed. Now, what's interesting here is how her faith brought about her healing. She reaches out in faith. That's what faith is. Faith is reaching out for God. It's reaching out for God. Reaching out in prayer. Reaching out in obedience to what God has revealed to you. Not just saying yes, but stepping forward. 
leaning into God. And some of us look at him and we're like, man, I don't have much faith. Jesus had a statement he said a lot of times. He would say, you have little faith, and you have little faith, and you have little faith. And we read that, and we're like, man, that's derogatory. Jesus is like, you don't have much faith. But what I find interesting in the scriptures is that even when they have little faith, he does the miracle. I think he was saying little faith like as a term of endearment, like you little, little faith. Like you bunch of little faiths running around. <laughs> like I love you. You know, I mean, there's just, and then he meets them there. See, it's better to have little faith in a big God than big faith in a little God. That would be a good time to say amen. I don't know if you say it, but that is, that's kind of the proper place. And so God wants you to reach out in faith. Now, then the story takes another turn. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I wonder if Jairus looked at the older woman and he drew faith from, from her. But he went with Jesus. Look at verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Jesus tells the crowd, he says, he says stay back. And when he gets to the house, there's another crowd. I mean, the funeral's going on. And he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And the next thing Jesus does is he shoes the house. He's just like, y'all get out of here. Go, leave. Because it was an environment of disbelief. It was an environment of disbelief. And for Jesus to do what he wanted to do, it was going to take a small group of people who believed. And I thought, you know what? Some of us in this room the reason we just can't have breakthrough in our lives is because the people that we've invited in our closest relationships are people who don't believe. And you need to have friends who aren't followers of Jesus. I hope you have friends who aren't followers of Jesus. But when your boyfriend or your girlfriend is somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, see, sometimes when we make alliances in our closest relationships are people who don't believe, Sometimes that, that keeps from creating an environment where God can do what he wants to do. And so Jesus says, I'm going to clear the house. I'm going to clear the house out because I want to do something here, something that you've never seen before. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come. I guess that's how you say it. That sounded kind of cool. But look what that means says, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. This freaks the parents out, man. <laughs> their dead daughter, their daughter who had breathed her last, who was lay, laying there lifeless. Jesus takes her by the hand. And he says, daughter, get up. And they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders. You guys don't tell anybody about this. Like, yeah, right, right? He's like, don't tell anybody about this. And then he says, listen, he says, get her something to eat. Somebody get the girl some dino nuggets. I mean, let's, <laughs> let's get her something to eat. Why? Because dead people don't eat. He's showing her, she is proof positive, she is alive. Now, what we see in this, this story, and the reason I tell the story of the two daughters is because you see faith and you see grace. Faith is the woman reaching out for the hem of his garment. 
Grace is the girl who is dead being brought back to life. Here's what I want you to know. By faith, you reach out to God and say yes to him. God's saying, I forgive you. By faith, you're saying, yes, I receive it. His grace, his grace is what he has given to you when you you are dead in your sins. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. By grace, God has reached out to you and he grabs you by the hand. And he says, get up, get up. By faith, you reach out to him. You say, I receive it. I finally got through the traffic. Got to the hospital, parked in the parking deck, and I ran as fast as I could. I ran to the emergency room. When I got there, I found all of their family around the bed. And this man who's 70 years old, pancreatic cancer, found out two months before this that he had cancer. And now he's at the hospital bed, and the doctors are saying he only has hours left. And I went in and kissed him on the head. And I said, um... So you don't have to be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So do you want to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? He looked at me and said, yes. I said, do you want to surrender your life to God? He looked at me and said, Yes. And with his family gathered around him, we pray. And I believe he's in heaven. Because by faith, he reached out. And by grace, God reached him. And when he took his last breath, Jesus grabbed him by the hand. He said, get up. Enjoy what I've prepared for you. Come and feast. And for every person in this room who has said yes to Christ, one day you'll breathe your last. And Jesus will grab you by the hand. You'll say, get up. I've prepared a feast for you. And I realize in this room tonight, there are many who have said yes to him. But maybe you've wandered in your faith. Maybe you've wavered in your faith. Maybe you've stopped really praying. Maybe you stop really pursuing God. Maybe there's a situation in your life. Maybe a parent who doesn't know Christ. Maybe a friend who doesn't know Christ. Maybe somebody who's sick that you've been praying for. Maybe a situation where you've just, you've given up. And tonight you need to reach out in faith and say, God, I want to pursue you again. I want to come after you again. I want to chase after you again. And then there are others in this room where tonight is a time of grace. Or maybe you've just, you've blown it recently. And you've been carrying around shame and guilt. And I want you to know that's not from Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't deal in shame. He doesn't deal in guilt. He deals in grace. And tonight, you need to receive the grace that's given. Receive his forgiveness. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And then we're going to place a couple of these prayer shawls up front. And it'll be an opportunity for some of you, and I don't know how God's dealing in your heart. Maybe for some of you, it would be to say yes to Jesus for the very first time and begin a relationship with him. Like my brother-in-law's father. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe tonight it's, you know what, I need to come back to God. I need to, I need to reignite 
this relationship with him. Say yes to him. Come back to him in faith. Or maybe it's just to receive his grace for some stuff in your past. And so we'll have an opportunity for you to do that during this next song. But I want to pray for you. All right, now would you bow your heads with me? God, in a room like this, with a word like this, you're speaking to hearts. And it's not me speaking to hearts, it's you speaking to hearts. And tonight, you want to set people free. Tonight, you want to set people free from condemnation. Tonight, you want to set people free from guilt and shame. Tonight, you want to set people free from spiritual apathy. Maybe some need to repent from spiritual swagger. They've been acting like it's all about them. And their faith has been self-absorbed spirituality. God, tonight, they need to return to you. For some in this room, it's a it's a time to say yes and surrender in a place or in a relationship where they've just been saying no. God, you've spoken to each heart in this room, and I pray that as you've spoken, God, that people would respond as you lead. And God, while we reach out in faith, we know it's not by our works that we're saved. It's not by anything we can do but only by your grace. God, thank you that you've given us life. And I pray that you would expand our faith in this time. And so as the band leads this song, as God has prompted your heart and as you respond to him, I want to encourage you. There are some of you that maybe it would be meaningful. Maybe there's not many. Maybe it's just a handful where it would be meaningful to come and to touch the hem. Not that there's anything magical about a prayer shawl, but it's sacred when you say yes to God. And that the hem of the garment is where we find healing, and some need healing tonight. So during this next song, if that's meaningful to you, if God stirred your heart, a way for you to say yes reach out in faith.